This is Radio Influence. Podcasting redefined. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. start tonight's show with a very simple question. How many people listening right now, other than those in law enforcement, would walk into their job and in 40 seconds, 40 seconds, 4-0, have to make a decision to end someone's life? I can answer that question for you. Unless you're in law enforcement, you don't have to worry about making that decision. And believe me when I say it's a worry. Because contrary to popular belief, police don't want to go out and kill people. White police don't want to go out and kill black people. And in this case, Hispanic police don't want to go out and kill a black man. It's that simple. But it's the choices of those that come in contact with the police and it's police training that make these things happen. Now, what you just heard was audio from the dash cam footage of Officer Yanez, who shot and killed Philando Castile last July in Minnesota. And you can hear, as I said, 40 seconds, that it started really, really quick. It went from zero to oh shit in 40 seconds. And that's how policing works. I'm going to talk about that case, as you heard in my promo from last week when I was out, that I was going to talk about this case this week. Also, Colin Kaepernick making uh, statements about police, comparing it to modern-day slavery. I'm going to dive into that here on this show tonight. But before I do, I want to say it's good to be back. I was out last week. I had other obligations. I was in Cincinnati Monday through Wednesday. Then Wednesday night through Thursday, I was in D.C. Friday, I was out in Chicago taping an episode of a crime show for TV One. So it was a very, very busy week for me. But I do indeed enjoy coming to you every Tuesday, every chance I get to break down these cases the way we do here on Beyond the Badge. Now let's talk about Philando Castile. Many of you probably remember this happened last July. The girlfriend or wife or baby's mama or whatever she is actually live streamed uh, right after the shooting, live streamed the events of what was going on. And one of the first things she said in this live stream video was he just shot my boyfriend he's licensed to carry he told him he had a gun but he's licensed to carry now in watching this dash cam video and listening to the audio there's a few things that stick out to me one is yes the officer did ask for insurance and driver's license philando castillo you can see in the dash cam video 
handed the insurance to the officer. And then he says, sir, I have to tell you, I have a firearm on me. The officer said, okay. Then all of a sudden, this is when it escalates. You can hear the officer, don't touch it. Don't move. Don't touch it. Then the shots ring out. So one of the things that stuck out first was while this entire thing happened last year in the media, everyone was saying, oh, he had a concealed permit. Oh, he had a right to carry the gun. Well, if he did have a carry permit, which I believe he did, you're absolutely correct. He did have the right to carry the gun. But that was not related to the officer. And if you watch the video closely, you can see furtive movement from uh, Philando Castile. You can see him moving around. You can see the officer reaching in the car saying, don't touch it, don't touch it. Now, was he going for the gun? I don't know. But here's what sticks out to me right off the bat. Philando Castile never said, sir, I have to tell you, I'm a licensed firearm carrier. And I have my firearm with me. What he did say was, I have a firearm on my person. That translates in police jargon to, I got a gun and I may shoot you. Now, he didn't say, I have a permit. He says, I have a firearm on me. And then you can see in the video that he proceeds to start moving around. And the officer's telling him, don't move. Don't touch it. Right before the shots ring out. So. The officer was acquitted, and here's why I believe he was acquitted, but there's more to this story that I'm going to bring up. The jury saw this video. The prosecutors saw this video. The defense saw this video, and I think they were all able to say that a reasonable person just hearing the word, I have a gun, and that's it, would be in fear of their life, especially when the said person who says, I have a gun, starts moving around. Now, the officer didn't know where the gun was in relation to Philando Castile. In fact, if you watch the entire dash cam footage, it's about 10 minutes. He even says, I don't know where the gun was. He was moving around, which having done this job, having had people pull guns out on me on traffic stops, I can honestly say I reasonably believe that that officer thought that this guy was going for a gun. I can honestly say I believe the officer's story because all you see is him moving around for Lando Castile moving around. You see the officer reaching in the car. So we don't know where the gun was at this point. And based on the, the video, it doesn't look like when they pulled Philando out of the car to render first aid because that's what police do, even though, you know, it's racist, racist and everything and they want to kill black people. You see the officers pull him out and render first aid before EMTs get there. It doesn't look like he had a gun on his person. I didn't see one in his hip. I didn't see one anywhere. So it could have been that the gun was between the seat and the door. And that's why the officer reached in the car. It could be that it was between the driver and the passenger seat stuffed in the cushion. And that's why the officer was reaching in the car. It could be that it was on his lap. And that's why the officer reached in the car and told him, don't move. See, the fact remains, the officer heard the word gun, and then the officer saw furtive movements. So the officer reacted based on training and based on the right to protect himself. And let's not forget that the girlfriend herself 
even though while she was in police custody, was still live streaming on Facebook. Let's not forget that she herself said they had weed in the car. So as I said months ago, maybe, just maybe, Philando Castile was trying to hide the weed that was in the car. And after telling the officer the word gun and the officer seeing all this movement, he doesn't associate weed with Philando Castile. He associates gun with Philando Castile. And again, he goes and he does what his training tells him to do. And he does what he has the legal right to do if he felt threatened. You know, last week, uh, CBS 46 here in Atlanta, you know, they use me all the time to talk about these cases. They called me to do a soundbite. There was one ex-officer that said, um, you know, Philando shouldn't have told him he had the gun. He should have just went on about his business and moved uh, accordingly inside the car. And I totally disagree with that because here's why. I personally have a carry permit. I personally never leave home without my gun. But if I get pulled over and let's say I'm reaching into my glove compartment to get the insurance that the officer has asked for, and let's just say my shirt rides up just a little bit where he can see my gun, what do you think the first thing he's going to think if I haven't told him, hey, I'm armed and I have a carry permit? He's thinking, because I've been in that situation, I've been in that situation, he's thinking, hey, this guy is trying to do me harm or has the potential to do me harm. So what do you think the officer's reaction is going to be? He's going to put someone at gunpoint. So I would say personally, yes, tell the officer you have a gun. Tell the officer your license to carry, which Philando Castile never did, even though his girlfriend said it in her video. But then after you do that, because trust me, I've been pulled over while armed. After you do that, you don't move. You put your hands on the steering wheel and you don't move. You wait for the officer's commands. And when he tells you, stop moving, guess what you do? You stop moving. And I don't know where the gun was. He didn't tell me where the fucking gun was. Okay. And then it was just getting hanky. He gave, he was just staring straight ahead. And then I was getting fucking nervous. And then. Did you hear that? He didn't know where the freaking gun was. This is what the officer said. Those are his words exactly. And I can tell you, I've been in that situation where you don't know where the gun is. But that doesn't mean the threat is not there. Because the gun you can't see is way more dangerous than the one you can see. Let that sink in for just a second and think about it. The gun that you can't see pointed at you is a lot more dangerous than the one you can see coming. That's just a fact. You ask any officer who's been ambushed, the ones that are alive will tell you, I never even saw the gun. The other ones can't tell you because they're no longer here with us. The gun you can't see is way more dangerous than the one you can. So the reporter from CBS 46 also asked me this question. He said, but Fistile, Philando Castile had a carry permit. And I said, yep, that's been proven. But I said, you know how many people have told me that when I've pulled them over and they've had a gun? And it turns out that they didn't. So that's one. People will tell police anything. And two, at that exact moment, in those 40 seconds, 38, 39, boom, 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 40, that officer did not know Philando Castile. He did not know if Philando Castile had a carry permit or if he didn't have a carry permit. All he knew was 
This individual just told him the word gun. And this individual, you heard his own words, is acting hanky. If you don't believe me, watch the video. You can see it in the video, the furtive movements inside the car. That's all that officer knew at that exact moment. At Mark 40, 40 seconds, all he knew was, this guy just told me he had a gun. He's moving around. I think my life is in danger. So here is the bigger question. How did this turn out to be racial? It started out a legal traffic stop. Go watch the entire video, the dash cam, and listen to the fiance or girlfriend or whatever she was. Listen to her, where she says they got stopped for a taillight. It was actually a brake light. It was a legal stop. You can see it on the dash cam. They have the passenger side brake light only working on the car. And last I checked, now I know I've been out of patrol for a while, but the last I checked, that is still a legal traffic stop which quickly escalated to, sir, I have a gun, don't reach, stop moving, don't reach, pow, pow, pow. Now, do you actually think, and if you do, then you're more brainwashed than you know because you've been listening to mainstream media, but do you actually think, A, the officer was Hispanic, so last I checked that he's a minority as well, but do you actually think that had that been any other race that it would have gone down a different way. Now there's some that will say, yeah, they wouldn't have shot a white guy. Well, I can count the three, 400 plus white people that have been shot by police last year that are now dead. If you don't believe me, look up the stats. The fact is the officer heard the danger word gun. The officer was in the danger spot on the driver's side of that car, right in front of the driver's side window. He was in the kill zone. So quite frankly, I don't think had this individual, Philando Castile, had been white, Chinese, Vietnamese, European, Russian, alien, you name it. I don't think the officer, Officer Yanez, would have acted any different given the exact same circumstances of that traffic stop. So, of course, the acquittal of this officer, Officer Yanez, led to days and days of protests. A lot of people arrested. A lot of stuff on social media of people just, you know, talking about stuff. They have no idea what they're talking about other than the fact that Philando Castile was black and not taking into account everything, the totality of the evidence, the totality in the case. Right. So. You got days of protest. You got people blocking interstates. And for what? Why is no one fessing up to the fact that Orlando Castile's actions, although I'm sure maybe, maybe, just maybe, I don't know because he's no longer here to tell his story. Maybe he didn't have the intention of hurting the officer, but his actions moving around the way he did made the officer's awareness spike and made the officer believe he was under an imminent threat of death or serious bodily injury because he told him he had a gun. What is the protest? What is the issue? Other than race, what is the issue? Now, we can talk race and we can talk death, and you know where I'm going with this. I just left Chicago on 
Saturday morning. I was only there for a day, but I know the crime stats and I know who's getting killed day after day after day after day, not by police, but by people in their own community. So where is the protest? Where's the outrage when this occurs versus when this one officer in 40 seconds is tasked with deciding to take someone's life or not? 40 seconds. Remember what I asked at the top of the show. Who walks into their office and in the very first 40 seconds has to make a decision of taking someone's life? Most people walk in their office and don't do work for the first 40 minutes. And you're talking 40 seconds to make a decision, not a decision of should we have a meeting? Should we go to HR about something? Should we fire someone? Should we start this new project we've been talking about? 40 seconds to decide whether you're going to take a life or not. And then people want to give police officers so much slack but not appreciate the stresses that go along with the job. And let's talk about stress. I want you to listen to the entire dash cam audio. And it's actually captured in her video as well. You could hear the stress in the officer's voice. He dropped the F-bomb I don't know how many times. And it wasn't out of joy. It was because he was upset that he had just taken someone's life. It wasn't because he thought he was going to get in trouble. Because if he thought that, he probably wouldn't have pulled the trigger, and then he may have ended up dying. It was because the stress of taking someone's life, the stressors of the job that no one takes into accountability, no one focuses on at all, but they always make police the bad guy. So, just so you know, for the record, we know a jury is 12 people, right? So, one of those jurors in the Philando Castile shooting was a black woman. One was a black man. But the verdict was unanimous. It wasn't that the black woman and the black man said, oh, we disagree. Oh, it's racist. Oh, it's this. They looked at the evidence for two weeks. They looked at the evidence and they made the decision according to the law. So if it was racial, if it was racially motivated, and if it was unjustified. Don't you think that this one black woman and one black man would have said, nope, it would have resulted in a hung jury. They would have returned a verdict of guilty, but they didn't do that. They looked at the evidence and unanimously, along with the other jurors, and I don't know what their demographic race was, but along with the other jurors, they found Officer Inez not guilty of first-degree murder or manslaughter. So, after this verdict, Colin Kaepernick, you know, Colin, the former football player who can't get a contract right now, goes on Twitter and he compares this. He says he doesn't agree with the verdict. Of course he wouldn't, you know, even though he's a black man raised by white people who never spent a day in jail and never had any action with police. Anyway, says he doesn't agree with the verdict and he compares policing in this day and age to modern day slavery. Well, maybe Colin Kaepernick was asleep during history class. Let me read the definition of slavery. Slavery is 
any system in which principles of property law are applied to people, allowing individuals to own, buy, and sell other individuals. Now, the last I checked, I will agree with Colin. There is still modern-day slavery, but it has to do usually with little girls and little boys sold across this country, the biggest population right here in Atlanta, sold for the sex trade. It's called human trafficking or the sex trade. It happens all day, every day in major cities around the world. There are people buying, selling, and owning people for the explicit reason of trading them for sex. So yes, Colin Kaepernick, you are correct. Slavery does still exist. But let's be honest here. Policing and slavery can't be compared. Because if you look at the history of slavery, the way you're using it, it was long before most police, most states, most cities even had police. And there's not a police officer right now in this country who had anything to do with slavery in the term that you're using it. So on his tweet, and I want to read it because to me it's kind of funny. It says a system that condones the killing of people without consequences doesn't need to be revised. It needs to be dismantled. So Colin Kaepernick, are you talking about the city of Chicago where more people die in one year than people have died in the last 10 years in Iraq? Are you talking about the city of Milwaukee, even though there was a police shooting there a couple of weeks ago, where more black people die at the hands of black people than by police on a daily basis? Are you talking about a city like Baltimore, where since Freddie Gray, the crime rate has tripled and black people are dying almost on a daily basis by the hands of black people? So is that the system you're saying needs to be dismantled? Is that what you're saying, that the black community needs to be dismantled? What exactly are you saying, Colin Kaepernick? Because I don't care what you believe with your Angela Davis Afro. Police are not going out killing black people in droves. It's just not happening. Do the numbers. You, and maybe it's because your Afro is so thick, are brainwashed by mainstream media that this happens all day, every day in the black community, a community you've never even lived in. So who are you to sit here and tell black people that police need to be dismantled anyway? I tell you what needs to be dismantled. It's the ideology that most people have. Because real talk, police, white, black, whatever, mostly white because it's just demographic across departments, police spend more time protecting black lives than other people who claim to be supportive of Black Lives Matter. Look in Chicago. I was just there. I heard sirens for the 24 hours I was there. Those police officers were protecting the same people that Colin Kaepernick say are slaves. Those police officers were protecting the same people that Black Lives Matter would go and protest and march for. 
white police officers, black police officers, Asian police officers, Hispanic police officers do more for the community than you, Colin Kaepernick, have ever done, will ever do, could dream of doing, could be told to do. It's just not going to happen. Police are the backbone of protecting the community. And here's something that's really funny about his tweet, too. So he, he posts a picture. It's a meme, and it, it has two badges. And it says, you can't ignore your history. Always remember who they are. One badge is a black and white picture, and it says, runaway slave patrol. The other is a, a badge that says, police officer. And he's saying, always remember who they are. Well, let me tell you how stupid you are, sir, because it was actually the Democrats who now seem to have the black support who did not want slavery to come to an end. So all of the liberals who are going along with this Black Lives Matter movement, let's not forget history since you want to talk history, Colin Kaepernick. It was the Democratic Party who didn't want to end the slavery. It was the Republican Party who ended slavery. So you, sir, like I said, maybe it's your afro. Maybe it's not sinking into your brain because there's too much hair. But you, sir, have no idea what you're talking about. And when you have no idea what you're talking about, you make yourself sound like an idiot. And it's probably no wonder no team has picked you up. Enough about that, as we are almost out of time. It is time for my 10-7 segment. Tonight, I want to spotlight Master Sergeant William Bishop. Master Sergeant William Bishop with the Florida Highway Patrol was struck and killed by a vehicle while investigating an accident on I-75 near mile marker 403. He was outside of his vehicle when a secondary accident occurred in the center lane at approximately 6.35 p.m. One of those vehicles involved in the secondary accident then struck Bishop, pinning him underneath it. Sergeant Bishop had served with the Florida Highway Patrol for 30 years. He is survived by his wife and son. And that story reminds me of a friend of mine that died in Nashville that was a police officer, Christy Dedman, who was doing the same thing. An attractive trailer uh, struck the car behind her, pinning her between her patrol car and the car she was helping out. It was very, very tragic, very sad. Uh, But Godspeed to Master Sergeant William Bishop. My prayers to your family. Thank you for 30 years of service, sir. I want to thank you for listening tonight, and I will see you next week. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a sitting ringside with David Penzer, Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Former WWE ring announcer and one of the only people other than myself who got to do this for a living, Justin Roberts. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if we ever talked about this, but um, uh, Chris was a good friend. I traveled with him. He lived in the same city as I did. Steve Regal, Fit Finley, two people that are very important to you, uh, and and a couple other guys. And we would socialize on our uh, when we had time off with our families and and. and Chris and Nancy and um, uh, the grunge lived in the same city too, Peachtree city in Atlanta. So uh, uh, I saw the, a lot of things that he hid from the guys, 
Uh, did you ever see anything when Chris was on the road towards the end that made made you think that uh, he was starting to maybe uh, lose it a little bit? I know that you can never have foreseen what you did. I didn't either. But uh, just that maybe he was, uh, he was starting to cave? I mean, I always knew that he had two sides. I always knew that other side of him from the stuff that happened <clears throat> that I talk about, um, stuff that happened you know, at, at restaurants, even domestically when he was drinking and, you know, who knows what else he was doing. So I, I saw that savage side of him. Um, I had dinner the other night with Brett Hart and, uh, we were talking about that and like Brett had never seen that side of him. So some people did, some people didn't, but I, I knew that other side, um, it was pretty scary. Yeah. Um, it's funny cause I, I talk about, Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I talk about like, even like the stuff that he put me through, um, you know, that was just some of it, but most of it, like we were always very cordial and he was very good to my family, which I talk about and, and tell stories in there. Um, so it's, it was just, it was weird. Everything about it was weird and obviously very sad and, um, and awful. It's fun. It's it's funny. Uh, none of it's funny, quite frankly. But it's ironic looking back because some of the people that were closest to him never saw it. Uh, because I remember you you're talking about Brett talking to Brett Hart that he never saw anything like that, and you did. I remember when this all went down. I was on the phone for hours with Chris Jericho, who was much closer to Chris Benoit than I was, and I was pretty close to him and his family. And uh, he had never seen that. He was shocked, and I was telling him the stories mm. about how uh, how. You know, they would both, Chris and Nancy would both go to Johnny Grunge and tell their, you know, they, you know, they'd have a fight. They'd each tell their side of the story. Uh, Johnny Grunge, to me, I think was the only person that didn't, they didn't feel that judge them because Johnny Grunge was kind of a screw up uh, in, in, a, in a nice way, nicest guy in the world, but kind of a screw up. So I don't, I don't think that, that he, that they felt like they judged him, but I think that Chris felt like anybody else, whether it was Brett or, or, or Chris Jerick or any of those guys would judge him. Uh, so I think he hid it from his closest friends. And well, um, the thing with Brett, Brett said that he was always very respectful of him. And I could, I could totally picture what I think it would look like if this Chris and Brett were hanging out. And I think that's part of it. Chris really respected Brett and like, he wouldn't do that in front of Brett. Um, he wouldn't do that in front of Jericho. I, I could see that. Now you heard the news. Uh, you already were suspicious. I assume that he didn't show up because we both know that Chris Benoit doesn't miss shows. Uh, but, uh, but you heard the news. Uh, tell me about how that was when, uh, when Vince called you guys in, in that day at TV. Um, Vince was going to be addressing us later in the day at, we had been in Corpus Christi at the arena all day and, uh, there of course was a brand split at the time and um, both brands were there. So everybody was there and a lot of talent had come back. Like they were going to have a lot of cameos. It was going to be Vince's funeral. <clears throat> so there are going to be a lot of cameos on the show. So there were, there's a lot of talent there that day. And towards the end of the day, when we were going to be getting ready to do the show, that's when we got called into the arena and Vince got a mic and went in the ring and addressed us. And um, before he started talking, I saw some whispering and, and after the whispering, people would, you know, their faces would drop or their hands would cover their face. And um, I knew we weren't getting good news. And when he presented us with the information, it 
it came off as if, I mean, to me at least, uh, it came off as if police went there and, and found the three of them dead. <clears throat> so we, you know, assumed that they were, the three of them were murdered. So that, 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 that you didn't have any thought going through your mind that something wacko happened inside that house? No. No, when when it was presented that the police went over there and the three of them had been murdered, um, that to me was somebody murdered them. It's interesting because I remember that day like it was yesterday. I'm sitting in my house right now and uh, I was taking a nap. My son, uh, uh, who's now 22 years old, woke me up and said, Chris and Nancy and Daniel are dead. And, uh, you know, you first wake up, you're kind of groggy and I wasn't sure what I heard and no matter what went through my head, I knew that there was that whatever happened was nobody but two people in that house ending up with three people dead. I, there wasn't a doubt in my mind. Sitting ringside with David Penzer can be found on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.